Thank you for joining us today for a new edition of Pennsylvania Library Association's PA LaunchPod, the podcast that focuses on Pennsylvania libraries and the people who make them special. Every day in Pennsylvania, a librarian impacts the life of a child, family, student, job seeker, grandparent, or the guy next door. This is your opportunity to hear what is happening at a library somewhere in Pennsylvania, maybe even in your hometown. This is Brian Fulton one of your hosts for PA LaunchPod. Today, we'll be talking with Molly Wolf, sexuality archivist and reference librarian at Widener University. All right, well, thank you again for tuning in to this edition of PA LaunchPod. Um, today, we're speaking with Molly Wolf, who is the founder and curator of the Sexuality Archives at Widener University. And um, she's also so a reference librarian there at um, the University Library. I think it, it, Wolf, Wolfgang? Wolf Ram. Wolf Ram. Wolf Ram um, Library at Widener University. So, Molly, thank you for joining us today. Um, Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, could you tell us just a little bit, uh, I guess, tell us about the archives um, and what researchers or students um, would find there? Okay, so um, the mission of the Sexuality Archives at Widener University is to um, preserve and make available to researchers the history of sexology, sexuality education um, in the United States and abroad, and also the history of the human sexuality program here at Widener. Um, we have the distinction of being, um, I believe, the only uh, university-accredited doctoral degree um, in human sexuality in the country. So um, preserving wow. the history of that program, as well as the larger history of sexology and sexuality education and just general human sexuality. So the kind of things that we collect really runs the gamut. I have um, journals and books, of course. I have... Um, uh, curricula, either current curricula or um, outdated curricula that were used in the past for mm -hmm. either family life education, sexuality education, um, AIDS and HIV education. Um, I have the personal papers of um, some prominent sexologists. I have um, all sorts of audiovisual materials. So I have films um, on actual film, 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 like reel-to-reel -reel mm -hmm. film. Okay. Um, I have VHS, I have DVD, I have 35 millimeter slides, um, and then I have, uh, have pamphlets, um, the kind of thing that you might find in a doctor's office. Um, wow. I have those back from um, probably the 20s and 30s up to um, current information. Um, and then I have some ephemera. And the ephemera runs the gamut between sort of novelty items, um, a sperm-shaped candle that you might find at Spencer's <laughs> Gifts, uh, to uh, a new new um, donation of some stainless steel male chastity devices. Wow, that yeah. that that that's something probably you know you don't. I mean, you would not see. It's not something you would come across in a a typical university archives or library. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> No, I guess, I guess that they're probably not, not for circulation, I guess. 
There's no, in fact, none of the materials in the sexuality archives circulate at all. It's a closed stack, it's by appointment only. You use the things here in the building. Um, although we are digitizing, trying to digitize all of our materials so that you don't have to physically come to the library to use them. Uh, but, but yes, these, these will stay in house and uh, <laughs> at some point be part of a display, but they're staying here. <laughs> Wow. Well, I get, I mean, it's a good thing that they're, they're there, you know, and you, cause you don't want that stuff loaned out, you know, no, no. So, liability. It might, not sure. come, it might not come back. Exactly. You know? And even uh, if it did, would we want it? I'm not sure. No, 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 definitely <laughs> not. Um, so Molly, you said um, the archives kind of goes along with the university's um, degree program in human sexuality. So was the archives in place before or did the kind of could you tell about how how it came about like sure. work hand in hand with the degree and that whatnot um no not really no. Uh, so okay. universe so the sexuality program came to widener in mm, the year 1999 i think the proposal came to the university and in the year 2000 we started offering the classes uh the program was previously at the university of pennsylvania uh, and at the time um i was the education librarian education liaison librarian and the sexuality program came in, in the, under the guise under the umbrella of the the education department so um I was the education librarian. I became the sexuality librarian as well. Uh -huh. And once we got the program, of course, we did some collection development for our regular circulating collection um, to support the program. But then people started contacting me, um, either professors, people in the field, friends of our professors saying, you know, I spent my life amassing this library or these collections and now we're retired, we're downsizing what can we do with them? Um, and so because I didn't have a very big budget line um, for the sexuality program, I said, sure, I'll take a look at them. I'll, you know, send them my way. If we can use some stuff, we'll keep it. And when they sent me these collections, there were, of course, books and things that we put in our regular circulating collection, but there was a lot of older materials that were not immediately useful. They didn't fit into our collection management policy at the time, but they were really too good to just throw away or pass on. Um, you know, I mean, there were obviously first editions in there um, of the Kinsey report, first editions of, um, uh, Magnus Hirschfeld, there were these pamphlets that you would get from, you know, a doctor or, um, you know, maybe a mother would send away for, um, so that she could talk to her daughter about menstruation from the 50s and 60s and 40s and things like that. And we didn't collect them, but gosh, the students could learn so much from interacting with these materials. So I started hoarding them in my office. <laughs> um, and my office isn't very big, so it was sort of edging me out and I went to the director at the time and I said look I think that what I'm sitting on now is an archive of human sexuality and so I said I'd like to start an archive and he said go for it so that's what I did um, and really it started in my office and then some additional sort of storage slash office space became available in the library and so we moved you know we added shelves and we moved the materials in there and I started 
on this journey into sexuality archival work. Hmm. And and I guess the rest is history there, you know. So now pretty much. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just it's just neat how it, it kind of was very organic how it, it came about, you know, that yes. it started, you know, doing normal collection development and then it 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 grew into, you know, what what it is today. Um so I've noticed too uh, online that um the sexuality archives has the social media presence mm-hmm. that you guys are on facebook and uh, and on twitter mm-hmm. and um and I was just wondering if you could kind of talk about like about how you use that to interact mm-hmm. you know with the public or just as another extension of i guess the archives mission right so um part of our mission is obviously to make resources available um to either our students and faculty or just the larger research community. Um, and I am, I guess, kind of a shameless self-promoter. <laughs> so, Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I didn't used to be, but I think I'm definitely becoming one. Um, you, know, so, not, you know, you have to get it out there, you know, so people know, you know. It, Exactly. Um, you know, my goal is to grow the archive and to do that, I need the donations. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, with social media being free, I thought, well, let's, let's start up a Facebook page. And then uh, from the Facebook page, I sort of delved into Twitter. And actually, Twitter has been um, much more successful than the Facebook page. Oh, the Facebook page is successful, but I think we have more followers and we get more um, interactions on Twitter. So I just started, um, you know, taking pictures of some of our new donations, putting them online, following people, sort of making connections. There are a few other um, archives related to sexuality throughout the country. Not all of them are university-based, but um, they're doing good work. So I started connecting with these people and then just, you know, it's a pretty... um, no pun intended, titillating topic. So um, just posting sexuality news, retweeting other people um, to just get the word out there that we exist um, and that we take this kind of, we take these donations of sexuality related materials um, in order to sort of further further our mission of collecting the materials and making them available. Um, and we've been, we've been pretty successful so far. So it's working. Great. Yeah, that's, I guess that's, you know, just like you said, to get the stuff out there, to, to promote it, and it'll help it grow, and what better way than free, you know, access through, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all that. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, so, could you tell, I was thinking, like, what would be, like, to you, um, what's, like, the most interesting or part of also this pun a, a stimulating item um you know that's in the in the archives like something that like when somebody comes to visit say a colleague or a visiting you know researcher like oh you have to see this you know? um i have yeah there are several items that i actually think of as um as sort of my my favorites maybe the ones i cherish the most um <laughs> So um, there are four that I can think of uh, at the moment. Uh, one is um, a book. It's a beautiful, glossy coffee table book. 
called the human pony. And um, a subset of the BDSM community is involved in what's called pony play, where people pretend to be horses. And sometimes, you know, they are hitched up to carts and they wear fake hooves on their feet and, you know, they run around and and they are in what they call pony headspace. Um, And this is all a book on how to train your human pony. Um, It's uh, actually a galley proof and it is um, signed by the author. And it's not so much the subject matter, although that is, you know, sort of eye catching, um, Mm -hmm. but it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous book big glossy photographs that has a great hand feel when you pick it up. I mean, it's got some weight to it. It's just really a beautiful book. Uh, The second, my second favorite item in the collection is um, we have a, a first edition or I should say first iteration of the book, I guess that would then become our bodies ourselves. So, um, our bodies ourselves started out as a newsprint stapled together sort of booklet for 75 cents from the Boston Women's Health Collective. And um, we have that original iteration of it. So it's really interesting um, to be able to pull that out and put it next to the new, you know, 500 page, uh, you know, volume that is our bodies ourselves and sort of see how far we've come. Wow. That'd be, that'd be interesting to see just the, the juxtaposition, you know, just from a pamphlet to like a, a large, you know, almost textbook like book, you know, just exactly how, over all the years. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's interesting to look at it. Um, my undergraduate degree is in literature and linguistics. So I like to look at um, the content and sort of see over the years what was left in the volumes, what was taken out of the volumes, what's changed, what hasn't changed, and sort of look at, you know, what does that tell us about the society that created each of these volumes, each of these um, editions of this particular book, um, and sort of just do a little cultural read on it, which is kind of interesting. Uh, And and I was just going to say, too, probably like the language that they use, too, like to describe things you know, right. over the years changed probably from, you know, from Mary, you, you know, cause I know in my work, just like, you see like a lot more description, you know, and right. slang type words being used that were common back then. But now today it's very, um, you know, formal speak when you talk about like a, with a news story. So it's, it's probably interesting to see that, you know, how that changed too. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, that's really interesting with the, the pamphlets, um, you know, because the, the early sort of sex ed pamphlets that we have from the 40s and 50s, that uh, it's, it's a lot of the doctor talks to the bride and groom. Okay. Um, it, it's almost always with a medical focus, right? So we have this medical authority sort of giving um, it legitimacy. If it wasn't a doctor talking about it, it would just be dirty. But the doctor's talking about it, so it's okay. And then, of course, it's to a married couple, always white, a white, heterosexual married couple. So it is interesting to see how just the the focus, the shift, the language, all of that, and just the topics that were included. I mean, for at least for a lot of these volumes, HIV and AIDS was not a thing. Mm Mm-hmm didn't have it. And now it's hard to imagine a textbook, a pamphlet, a, a 
book about health, sexual health, not including HIV and AIDS. So yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see the evolution um, of these materials. Uh, my third favorite item in the collection is a, a, a white cross vib electric vibrator from 1920. Wow. Um, which was, of course, vibratory massage at the time was the height of medical technology, and it cured everything, apparently, <laughs> uh, from dandruff to gout. Wow. And everything in between. Who, who knew? Who knew? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's really, and it's a, it's a heavy duty. Apparently it still works. I have not plugged it in to see. Um, I, I, I'd be afraid to, you know, exactly. like it starts sparking or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean the, the plug end, there's no, <laughs> I think the plug itself, like the part you would grasp is made of metal. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really not <laughs> safe, but um, it's a really, it, it's an interesting machine um, and to see the accompanying materials that go with it to, to, you know, to talk about what it was going to cure and, and all the attachments for, you know, they have an attachment for your temple and for your kidneys. And, you know, there's a scalp attachment for your dandruff. It's, it's really, it's really interesting to see. Wow. Um, and then my final favorite item, which isn't, it's my favorite because I think it's very unique. Um, it is actually a manual on how to give yourself an abortion. Wow. Which what I think is interesting is that it was written after Roe versus Wade. So abortion was legal in the United States when this book was written, but um, legality does not equal access. And so it was still so inaccessible that this book was necessary. Wow, you, you would you would you wouldn't even think like when you said like after Roe v. Wade like you would just that you know it's still you know was necessary you know exactly and that's what I think is so interesting I mean we sort of have this this mindset that once something becomes legal or illegal it either starts or stops mm -hmm. right I mean if it's illegal nobody does it well that's not true and if it all of a sudden becomes legal then all the barriers have been removed but that, you know, obviously was not the case. So I just think it's not my favorite because I like the book. I just think it's interesting that it was necessary to create something. Um, even, you know, I think it gives us a, a little bit of a glimpse into what maybe life was like yes. uh, at that for, time. Yeah. For some, for a woman at that time. Exactly. Definitely. Um, so um, our episodes are usually, they come out on, the first of every month and so to your the, today's episode will be <laughs> premiering on april 1st so which is april fool's day so i was wondering if you had any you know humor stories or anything you know with your work or whatnot if you want to share with our listeners with it with today being april fool's day sure um so my personal research um, is on bestiality. And um, so I had, at one point, I was doing a lot of research and I had written an article. Um, and this was years ago, so electronic submission of articles was not really a thing. Um, at the time, I had to physically take the, um, take the article to the post office to mail. And what my research had uncovered um, 
was that German shepherds were very popular dogs um, for people engaged in bestiality. Um, they didn't necessarily get specific as to why German shepherds, but German shepherds were the popular breed of dog. Um, and so the day that I happened to be driving this uh, article to the post office, um, I left from my house to go to the post office. And from there I was going on to work and um, on the short drive. And it was a very short drive. I'm talking maybe if I hit the red lights I got was five minute drive. All right. I passed no lo no less than six people walking German shepherds. <laughs> which I don't think that I had noticed a German shepherd in my neighborhood until that day. And then in that five minute drive, six of them, six so of them. I thought that was kind of funny. That <laughs> is, you know, you just, they just, you know, that is. <laughs> you just kind of have to look around and go, Hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and if they only knew what, what you were going to mail. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, all right. Well, Molly, I want to thank you for sharing um, today about the sexuality archives um, with our listeners here on PA Launch Pod. Oh, you're um, very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and I just I want to just share too. Um, we did mention that um, the sexuality archives is on um, Twitter and Facebook, and you're on Twitter at at sexuality archives, all um, one word. At sexual archives sexual archives um and then on facebook it's widener sex archives correct correct all right well we'll have um we'll have those up online um with the accompanying blog post um um on the pa the pa library's website so that um you can our listeners can click on those so that they can start following um right. following you and in your in your collection and wonderful all right. And then, so I want to thank you again, Molly. Thank you. And, thank you. Uh, and you have a good, thanks. Great. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening. You can find our podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. For more information about this episode and how you can be featured on this podcast, visit palibraries.org slash group slash palaunchpod. And are you a member of the Pennsylvania Library Association? If not, now is your time to join. The association has launched a membership drive where first-time members will receive half off a personal regular membership. For more information about this offer, can be found at palibraries.org. Remember, membership matters. <laughs>